Hello, thank you for joining LTC DON Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Post-Acute Care Nursing, APACN. I'm your host, Amy Stewart, Vice President of Education and Certification Strategy for APACN. And I'm here today with Dr. Carl Steinberg, the President of AMDA and a longtime nursing home medical director and chief medical officer for two nursing home management companies, Beacon and Mariner in California. Dr. Steinberg joins me today to discuss the importance of early identification of a resident's changing condition. Welcome, Dr. Steinberg. Thank you. It's great to be here, and thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you here today. So let's get started. We're going to talk about uh, significant changes. So facilities often get cited for missing a significant change, but why else is it important to identify resident changes early, and what are the risks? Well, sure. Uh, I'd say, you know, much more important than avoiding citations is the most important reason to identify a change of condition early is that for many situations, early identification results in better outcomes for our residents, right? And, and that's really what it's all about. Uh, so good examples would be like sepsis, where hours can literally make a difference between life and death, and also things like dehydration, where early attention to increasing fluid intake, you know, oral fluid intake, can prevent the need for IV hydration or even hospitalization. So it's basically just, it's good resident-centered care to encourage all of our staff to be vigilant and have a low threshold for a good assessment and early intervention, including prompt notification of the attending physician and family, which of course is in the regs and you know it's important to let them know if you think there's a change of condition. Another good reason to intervene early is that it will reduce liability exposure, right? In addition to avoiding uh, getting deficiencies written, uh, it's going to avoid lawsuits, right? I do some work as an expert witness in nursing home cases. And when a plaintiff's attorney has a chart reviewed and it shows, say, the resident's meal percentages had been averaging 75% for months, and now in the last three days before she crashed, she refused three meals and you know averaged 25 to 50% for the other ones, that's going to look like negligence, right? When When they look over that chart, you know, when the morning vitals show a, a systolic blood pressure of 80 and now she's in hypovolemic shock with a BUN of 100 and a sodium of 160 or something like that, because it's right there in the chart, right? The facility either knew or certainly should have known that it, her intake was far below normal. It's right there in black and white. So avoiding those types of situations or like, you know, when a new pressure injury is found and it's already a stage three or unstageable, right? I mean, why didn't somebody see it sooner before it got that far? Those types of things can help keep you out of lawsuits, and that's a good thing. But but again, the most important thing is it's good care, taking the best care of our residents that we can. That's really great information. And the litigation part, you're right, is a huge piece as well. If you don't identify and put interventions in place quickly, which leads me to my very next question. What can facilities do to help identify resident changes more quickly? Well, I'd say number one, relying on our nursing assistants, right? And empowering them to speak freely when a resident just doesn't look right. You know, it doesn't have to be anything real concrete. You know, these CNAs know our residents better than anyone else in the building, right? So I too often hear 
that a CNA is reluctant to go tell the licensed nurse or, or report to anybody that he or she thinks that the resident looks different or that there's something going on because they, you know, the nurses are busy. They're going to just say, leave me alone. And so I hope all of you on the call can make it a point to really encourage our CNAs to come forward, right? I mean, a little off topic, but I just want to say our CNAs are the lifeblood of our homes, right? And we need to elevate them to a level of trust and appreciation that really makes it clear we value them. And I'm sure many of our listeners here are already doing that, but we really need to get away from the top-down kind of blame and shame culture and really recognize our CNAs as being a vital part of the care team, right? If we don't, we're not going to be able to keep them in our workforce. And, you know, that's a whole nother podcast, right, Amy? So, but anyway, tools like the Stop and Watch, I hope most of you are familiar with, they can be of great value in reminding our nursing assistants what kinds of things to be on the lookout for. And again, when they think something might be going wrong, that needs to be reported. And then that resident really needs to be assessed promptly. So that's, I think, the number one most important thing as far as identifying changes early. And the same goes for the residents themselves and their family members. I just can't tell you how often I've seen family concerns dismissed as just, you know, sort of high maintenance problem families, you know, and it's written in the chart. And then it turns out in retrospect that they sensed something before the facility staff, you know, had actually been able to observe it themselves. Again, just always listen to our residents and their families. If they tell you something doesn't feel right or mom doesn't look right, assess them and don't be afraid to call the attending doc to see if any testing needs to be done. So I think it's important to, to really listen. Another easy bedside intervention that you, you guys as DONs can institute, if somebody seems to be slightly different and there's just nothing real concrete, increase the frequency of the vital signs. That's, you don't need a doctor's order to do that. And that's something really simple that will allow you to be more vigilant and not let something progress as far. Then some of our electronic health record systems have ways to flag things like reduced intake or abnormal vitals. And those options are definitely worth considering if you don't already have that sort of baked into your system. So even if you do get a lot of false positive alerts, at least it's less likely that something will slip through the cracks. And whether you have that or not, it's really important to, you know, if somebody is is uh, refusing meals or um, has a, a much reduced intake, or even if they're just not as not as perky as usual, those are the types of things that we don't want to ignore because they really can be an early sign of something brewing. And I'm just going to throw this in because I know there's still a lot of people who are practicing what I want to call 20th century medicine, where uh, there's been, you know, somebody's a little more confused than usual, or somebody has a fall, and the doctor orders a urine study, right? They're like, oh, maybe it's an occult UTI. I hope everyone on this call knows and has made it very clear through in-services and, you know, work with your IP and everything that we don't do urine studies because somebody is a little more confused than usual or because they took a fall. We don't do urine studies unless somebody has signs and symptoms of a UTI, right? So you can look at the Loeb criteria, the McGeer criteria, but don't just be ordering urine studies because guess what? You know, most of them are going to come back growing 100,000 colonies of something, and you should not be treating it. That is asymptomatic bacteria. That's not why they fell. That's not why they're confused. 
So please stop doing that. And, you know, if your doctors are ordering those tests, then get the medical director to, to clear that up. And if your medical director is doing it, get a new medical director, okay? <laughs> anyway, okay, end of that lecture. I love what you're saying, though. You're singing many of the same songs that I have been singing throughout time. Um, the CNAs are our lifeblood. They are the people that spend the most time with residents. And again, absolutely agree 100% that you have to take them seriously, even if you think this can't be right. Listen to them every chance you get, along with all of the other great information that you've given. So my next question is, do you have any helpful tips to help overcome some of the pitfalls of early identification? Well, yeah. And one thing I didn't mention was AMDA has uh, some really great toolkits and clinical practice guidelines. So I'd encourage you to look those up uh, and, and consider uh, getting some for your buildings. The website is paltc.org, which is post, like post-acute and long-term care, paltc.org. There's a new AMDA app, and I think that's just under AMDA, AMDA, which used to be American Medical Directors Association. And it's free even for non-members. And I encourage your members to download it. It's got a lot of free content on there. But there's a specific series of tools called the know-it-all tools, like know-it-all before you call, that can help your nurses ensure that they have a complete database when they call about a particular type of change of condition, right? So say uh, somebody's got nausea or has vomited, it's going to remind them to do a good abdominal exam, you know, check for impaction. And a lot of your nurses may not need that. But the nice thing about it is it's got it all there so that they can, you know, write it down. And then when they pick up the phone to call the doc, uh, they've got their, they've got the whole wrap there, right? They've got the complete database. And that alone may be able to prevent unnecessary hospital transfers if the doc feels comfortable and confident in the nurse's assessment skills and the ability to kind of tell a complete story of what's going on, as opposed to, you know, uh, when somebody calls and doesn't doesn't have their sort of wrapped together, that doctor is going to be a lot more prone to just say, you know what, I, I'm not going to take this risk of trying to work this patient up in-house. I'm just going to, you know, pull that 911 trigger, or, you know, send them to the hospital. So the Interact tools also are really valuable with the, the different SBAR formats and care paths. So there are a lot of other tools like that that can help uh, avoid some of the pitfalls of early identification. And one thing I really want to say is when in doubt, just go ahead and call the doctor or nurse practitioner or whoever's on call after doing a good assessment. You know, I can just I remember times getting woken up at 2 a.m. because the nurse is calling me to tell me that the labs came back and, you know, the RDW is 17, you know, or something like that. And it's completely meaningless, right? But guess what? I would rather get called with something that I didn't need to be called on than not get called when I wish I would have been, right? So even though some doctors might get upset or, or whatever, I just think if there's a doubt, you know, you're acting on behalf of the of the resident, and that's what we really need to keep top of mind. That's great. Thank you for that information. I couldn't agree with you more. Before we let you go today, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? Well, yes. I'd like to just, again, express my thanks to all of you for your dedication and your commitment to caring for our frail, ill, older residents. 
many of whom are nearing the end of their lives. It's really a special calling, and not everyone appreciates that, right? But we really work in a sacred place where the sacred happens all the time, and we're there to share our kindness, compassion, and love with our residents, and really to be there at a special and vulnerable time in their lives. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that just in the hustle and bustle of everyday work. So we need to show that kindness and compassion to ourselves and our coworkers too. I'm afraid we might be in for another nasty surge, although I'm hoping it won't be as bad since most of our residents are vaccinated. But whatever happens this coming winter, please take care of yourselves and everyone in your buildings. You are doing really important, meaningful work, and I thank you for that. Yeah, gosh, that was so amazing. Thank you, Dr. Steinberg. I'm always so happy when I get to talk to you, and I'm glad that I get to share this with our listeners. So thank you. Thank you. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. For more resources and tools for nurse leaders, please visit our website at www.aapacn.org. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the LTC DON Chat Podcast. Heard the news about how you can improve quality care and increase efficiency with Ability? Ability offers a range of applications to simplify the complexity of healthcare, allowing organizations of all types and sizes to spend more time on care and less time manually collecting, analyzing, and reporting data. This allows you to remain in compliance while making data-driven decisions that benefit residents. With Ability, your facility can improve resident outcomes, optimize reporting data, enhance reimbursements, and much, much more. Discover what Ability has to offer at AbilityNetwork.com slash a pack-in.